Okay, let me pray. We've got a lot to cover tonight. Let me get, uh, let's get on it. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, it is amazing. Every time I go through it, I see something new, I learn something. Um, your word is amazing. Uh, we love it. We love you and thank you for your word. We know that it is truth. And would you take what is yours, your word, and would you implant it deep, deep into our hearts, that it may continue to change us from who we were to who we are in Christ. We thank you for it. Pray that your spirit would be here to lead and guide that process. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Old Testament, that's what it says. I guess we'll stay there for tonight. Exodus, the story of redemption. Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. This is from our very first lesson. Uh, God is talking to Moses from the burning bush. Then the Lord told him, told Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land, the promised land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, of, people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Moses right now is at the Mount Sinai. And so God is sending him back to Egypt to redeem the people and bring them to Mount Sinai so that they can worship him. So that's the big picture of what's going on right here. So Exodus is the book of redemption. Moses is going to go in and rescue them. God's going to bring them out, and they embark on a journey to get to the promised land, which is going to take them a few books to get there. So this is the book of redemption. Uh, the basic geography that they're going to cover, so you could imagine that they're kind of starting sort of maybe up, that's kind of green up there, and then the rest of that is brown, like the moon. But that green part, so they're kind of up around there, and God is going to take them all the way up to that upper right-hand corner where Canaan is blocked out. So they're going to go from point A to point B on their journey with God. So Israel is redeemed from Egypt, as we talked about last week. God called out a deliverer, Moses. He freed his people to follow him. That was last week, using the Passover lamb, the blood of the lamb. Question occurs, 
How will God begin to mature those who will represent and serve Him in the future? So they've been redeemed from Egypt. They're probably not quite ready to be His servants yet. So He's on this journey. He's going to begin to uh, train them up in the way they should go, so to speak. So how's God going to begin to mature those who will represent and serve Him in the future? By teaching them to turn the obstacles they encounter into opportunities for faith. And that's our big idea for tonight. Faith learns that God leads through obstacles, not around them. Faith learns that God leads through obstacles, not around them. Now, before we talk about uh, some of the obstacles that the children of Israel faced, uh, let's talk for just a second about the locations. Okay, we saw, here's the, there's the big picture. That doesn't help us a ton. We need to know where certain things are. So, let me say a quick word about locations. Uh, God's path, the journey He's going to take them on, leads them through, uh, it's called the Sea of Reeds. Most people think it means Red Sea, but at least the Sea of Reeds, and He's going to take them to Mount Sinai. Now, neither of these, we're just going to call it the Red Sea, neither is exactly able to be identified or agreed upon by scholars. Where is Mount Sinai? Where is the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds that they crossed? Lots of ideas, uh, no unanimous conclusions on these things, all right? So we're going to talk about some of the candidates tonight just by way of giving you some context for this. Okay, by the way, how many have been to Israel at least once? Oh, look at that. Okay, that's like 40%. All right, so you remember down by the Dead Sea, it looks like the moon. <sighs> well, imagine more moon <laughs> in the Sinai, <laughs> okay? So that's where God is leading them. Remember when you went, it was probably summer, and was it cool and breezy, or was it like an oven? <sighs> My head hurt. It was so hot. Very, very hot. So, a word about the locations. There's no agreement, and there's no problem-free solution. No problem-free solution. So, first, let's look at the traditional route. This is um, a cartoon of the traditional route. So, they start at point one. They're told to leave. They travel to the region of the Bitter Lakes, and they make their way on around through uh, four, point four there is uh, the, uh, what they're going to call the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea. Um, by the time they get down to point number eight, they are at Mount Sinai. So they start at point one, and for purposes of tonight, they, one is where they start, four is where they cross the Red Sea, and then eight is the traditional location of Mount Sinai. 
Um, now, there's a pro and a con. How did this identification come about? Back in the fourth century, so the 300s, Constantine in 325 makes Christianity, um, it's basically the state religion for Rome. Well, his, uh, is it mother or mother-in-law? I can't remember. Helena. Helena, so at this particular point, if you have a relic, uh, like a piece of the cross or one of the apostles' fingers, <laughs> oh, that, yeah, somebody's got one. They think it's Peter's finger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know which finger. But they, they got a finger. Uh, some, oh, this is, oh, no, I can't tell this. Yes, I can. Okay. So if you were uh, in the fourth century, if your church had a better relic than another church, you were better. How did churches compete in those days? By the relics they had. You're like, well, that's weird. <laughs> that's just what they did. Uh, so, uh, church, church people would send out relic hunters. And they would dig up relics. So, I've, I visited um, the first time. So, I'm not, I don't want to disparage a country. I'm just going to tell you what happened. But there's no disparagement here. But it will tell you... The, even today, what they're thinking. So the first time I visited Ethiopia, wonderful country, you should go, especially for the coffee. <laughs> so we, we landed, and there, uh, our host is driving us from the airport to the place we're going to stay. And I said, um, so interesting, I've heard you have the Ark of the Covenant. And he said, yes, we do. And I said, may I see it? <laughs> no. And I said, I understand it's, a it's in Aksum, it's a little further north. He goes, yeah, but you can't see it. Oh, okay, gosh, that's a bummer. I've come all this way, I'd love to see it. He goes, no, you can't see it. He said, but we do have a piece of the true cross. And I said, okay, may I see that? No. I'm like, well, how do I know you have it? He says, oh, we have it. Here's a country, wonderfully, that's kind of still in that mindset of if our relics are better than yours, our church is better than yours. Interesting. Now, Ethiopia is a very interesting... Oh, golly. Okay. Stop, stop, stop. No, I can't go there. We'll go there later. Okay. So the idea of relics... Okay, so if you've got Peter's finger and somebody has it, seriously, they have it. Well, I don't know if it's Peter's, but they got a finger. <laughs> but if you've got a better relic, then you've got some status as a church. So Helena begins having, supposedly, begins having visions of where different sites are located. And she has a vision 
that point eight on the cartoon is Mount Sinai. It's accepted, and it's still the traditional site to this day. Perhaps not based on a ton of um, rationality, but there it is. Now, the, the benefit she has is if she's looking around in 350, um, that's certainly a lot better than looking around in the year 2000, right? I mean, you're closer to the time the events happened. So, it is possible that this is the Mount Sinai. Other scholars have done some work, and they have suggested, uh, so it's the yellow one, and so the, the yellow track, if you can see the yellow, that's sort of the traditional journey uh, for the children of Israel. When they leave um, Egypt, and they somewhere cross some body of water, and they make it down to Mount Sinai and then they wind their way up to Kadesh Barnea. We know from the scriptures that the top blue line, the top dotted blue line, was a very short path, but it says the Lord didn't take them on that path because he was afraid they would turn around and go back. Remember reading that? If you don't remember reading that, then you're reading too far ahead. Slow down. Got to stay with us. 13 through 18, it's in there. So God did not take them on the very northern route. So other people have proposed then that second down one, and Mount Sinai would be way further north. Um, again, there's some good rationale for having it up there. And then someone has even, but they don't really label it, the next blue line down, uh, there are people who think that was probably the route right there. Oh, does it work? Oh, nice. Okay, so God did not take them this way, but I'm probably in the way. He did not take them. I got to jiggle it. He didn't take them from here to here. Again, here's what other scholars think. Maybe Mount Sinai is here. Others say, no, they probably went this way. Uh, I am not in the same class as these other scholars, but I actually got so interested in this, I wrote a paper on it in seminary. Oh, you found the paper. If you'd like a copy of the paper, you can uh, email Laurie. She'll give it to you. Oh, she'll attach it. She'll take care of you. Uh, and I think they went down this way, way down here, and crossed. This is the Red Sea they crossed, and that Mount Sinai is over here. Again, I am not the same caliber scholar as the ladies and gentlemen who have come up with these other things. Uh, but interestingly enough, there used to be a... Uh, did you ever see the, the Jewish fella? I think his last name might have been Cohen. And he did a, um, like a science or a discovery thing. And it's the first one I've ever seen that made a ton of sense to me. And he, he did how far, you know, he just had, you know, a Venn diagram, remember the circles that overlap? He started looking at things like, okay, how far did Moses tell Pharaoh they were going into the desert? 
Three days. How many days would it be before Pharaoh figures out they're not coming back? At least six days. So they've got almost a week that they could be moving. Okay? Let's say it took a whole week. So he, he draws this circle and he says, here's how far people could walk across the moon in a week. And he draws a circle. And curiously, you go, no way, no way. Uh, you, can, you can get this far. He actually will tell you that it's over here too. And he's a way better scholar than me. So I'm like, Shh. I just think it's over here. And the key reason... Okay, ready for the key reason? There is the, uh, they're nomads, but they set up shop over here during this time. Midian. Where did Moses flee? He fled to Midian. Uh, this is not Midian. Here is Midian. See how good a scholar I am? I'm like, it says Midian. Maybe he went to Midian. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Let's just read and say, what if it's over here? Well, that means they have to cross the Red Sea somewhere over here. And interestingly, there's some people who may or may not have found actually a land bridge that's hidden under the water. And if the water blew away, like it says it did, and the path dried off, people could walk across this thing to the other side. Crazy. So anyway, maybe that's where Mount Sinai is. Curious, interesting, but at some point, they crossed the Red Sea. At some point, they got to Mount Sinai. So, here we go. They're not going to get to Mount Sinai tonight, just by the way. They're going to leave Egypt. They left Egypt last week, and so they're starting off on a journey with God. Here are some obstacles that God led them through in chapters 13 through 15 of Exodus. 13 through 15, God leads them through the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. But whatever the Sea of Reeds was, there have been some who've said, well, it was just a marshy bog. Okay, as long as all the Egyptian soldiers can fall face down in it and drown... I'm okay. But they didn't just, you know, come on. They're not just slogging through the, the mud. Uh, there has to be enough water to drown these people. And why do you think God did that? Talionic justice. Write it down. You're going to see it all throughout the Old Testament. Talionic talons, like an eagle, like a, like a hawk, talons. It's called talionic justice. How did God kill the firstborn of, of uh, Israel? Uh, sorry, how did Pharaoh kill the firstborn of Israel back in chapter 1? Drowned the babies. God says, I can play that game. I'm going to drown you. Talionic justice. Shows up all throughout the Old Testament. An enemy will do something to God, and he says, I see that, and he will do the very same thing to them. It just shows up in a different package. Remember when we were in Genesis and we talked about Jacob, right? Jacob and Rachel 
and Leah. And remember, he goes in the tent, and he thinks he's getting Rachel, but he gets Leah because he gets deceived by God in the dark the same way he deceived his father in the dark. So he goes, Jacob, I see that, and I'm going to bring it right back around on you the same way you dished it out. Here it comes. Ooh. So it's called talionic justice. And so God, whatever the Red Sea is or the Reed Sea, Sea of Reeds, whatever it is, it's got to be deep enough to drown the Egyptian army and their chariots. Okay, remember the scene. Now, this is great because you can if you want to remember Charlton Heston. Okay, so now they're, they're looking at it, right? There's the Red Sea, and God has told them to go to this place because he wants to do something to the Egyptians that he hasn't told Moses yet what he's going to do. So the Israelites' escape route has been a long and winding one, not at all the most direct way. Now their way is blocked in front and behind. I mean, they're really, oops, we can't go this way because there's water. Oops, here's Pharaoh. We're in a vice. We've got no way out. There's no way out. They're trapped. Fear and panic set in. Psalm 77. If you want to turn there. Psalm 77. I'll read it to you. Psalm 77. Uh, verses 19 and 20. Psalm 77, verses 19 and 20. Uh, it starts in 16. This little part starts in verse 16. Uh, when the Red Sea saw you, O God, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. And he talks about then the rain and the lightning and the thunder. Verse 19. Your road led through the sea. Your pathway through the mighty waters, a path no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. Can you imagine being, I mean, your back is against the wall, so to speak. There is no way of escape unless God shows up. And God showed up, made a road, made a way, and he rescued his people. But fear and panic have set in, and God makes a way where there wasn't a way before. He opens the sea, and his people pass through it on dry ground, and they praise him at the end of, verse, uh, at the end of chapter 15. So there's the Red Sea. The first obstacle God led them through was the Red Sea. Second one, they move from there. They go to Mara. And they're wandering around in the sin or desert of sin. Uh, not necessarily to be confused with sin. That's what they called it. Mara and the sin desert, 15 and 16. There's no water or food. The provisions they've brought from Egypt certainly have been exhausted over, this has taken them about 30 days to get to this point. And remember, they're through the Red Sea. So it's taken about 30 days to get to this point because now no one's chasing them anymore. Oh, gosh, that was one other thing. Oh, I got to back up. Okay. 
here's the other problem with this being the traditional site being Mount Sinai. Oh, it's really hard to see on that um, on that slide. So it kind of goes. There's a maybe on your picture you can see there's kind of a light light green color, and it kind of goes like this. But if you look at that that picture, does that real light green show up? Okay, what's the legend say? Light green is. Okay, wait a minute. It's under whose control? Ah, so if I escape to here, I haven't escaped. <laughs> this is still controlled by the Egyptians. Hey, I've just escaped. <laughs> Great. <laughs> we arrest you again because <laughs> this is ours. You've got to get outside the Egyptian-controlled territory. Okay, now we can move forward. All right, the Red Sea. So, so the, the Red Sea is, is a picture of an overwhelming situation or circumstance. By the way, is this where God told them to go? You should be saying yes. Now, you're saying yes like this. Yes. Because that means there could be an overwhelming situation or circumstance right in the middle of God's will. Oh, really? I thought I got to go around all these things. Oh, remember the big idea of the lesson? God leads through obstacles, not around them. God's going to lead them through the Red Sea. He does. They get to the other side of it. You would think... That would be a great thing. Don't you think if you went through the Red Sea and you saw the water standing up high enough on either side, you're going, this is crazy. Don't you think that would kind of cure you forever of wondering if God is for you or walking with you or anything? No, really not. It doesn't last very long. <laughs> and so he takes them to this place called Mara. There's no water or food. The provisions have certainly been exhausted. Desperation fear, anxiety, and faithlessness set in, but God provides for them in unexpected and generous ways. He turns the bitter water sweet and leads them to Elim and gives them manna and meat to eat. And these are the complaining people. So he's led them through the Red Sea. He leads them to and through Mara and the desert. And then he takes them to Rephidim. And so back on your picture, probably something there is labeled as Rephidim. And so you go, hmm, well, if, if the traditional site of Mount Sinai is wrong, then Rephidim is a long way away from Mount Sinai. And so, yes, remember, no problem-free solution. Is there another Rephidim? Etc. Etc. You go. Hmm. Not. Did they go back and forth like that? I don't know. Just uh, trying to be intellectually honest. There's no problem-free solution to any of the locations of Mount Sinai. Okay. Does that make sense? If it does, nod your head. Say, yes. Good. So he takes them to Rephidim. Now at Rephidim, there's no water. Again. 
Now, remember, you're walking in the moon. It's kind of, I'm thinking, you know, complaining isn't good, but I can kind of get it. You're walking around here without water, and it's hot. Uh, It would be tough, real tough. Uh, The people are weary, discouraged, and angry. And then, guess who shows up? The Amalekites. And what do they do? They do a sneak attack. And they sneak up behind the Israelites and they start attacking. Well, that's dirty pool. Yeah, it is. Remember, the sin of the Amalekites is not yet finished, not yet come to its full, and so God's going to take care of them. But right now, the Amalekites are the enemy, and where the Israelites are vulnerable, they're thirsty, they're discouraged, probably hot, uh, probably there's some people complaining, and the enemy shows up and attacks. But God delivers them using Joshua's sword and Moses' staff. Remember, Moses, as long as he holds up the staff, they win, suggesting if the staff comes down, they don't win. (laughs) And so Aaron and Hur get on either side and hold, hold up the staff. Moses is sitting on a rock, and so they hold it up, and they uh, at least send the Amalekites packing. Uh, God used Joshua and Moses and Aaron and Hur, but he's the one who won their victory. God won that battle that day. Uh, they trusted God, that God fought for them in a way he would do in the future. So he took them to and through the Red Sea. He took them to and through Mara and the Sin Desert. He took them to and through, he's going to take them through, Rephidim. Three obstacles that he took them through, not around. And they're walking right smack dab in the middle of his will in all of these things. So what are some lessons we can learn about God? First, he takes responsibility for his people's welfare. Talked to the fellow this morning. He said, I wonder if God has left me. I said, God will never leave you or forsake you, ever. That may be different than your feeling, but he hasn't done that. He takes responsibility for his people's welfare. In the same way if you've had children, do you take responsibility for their welfare? Of course you do. And he's a better parent than we are. He absolutely takes responsibility for his people's welfare. He is completely trustworthy, faithful, and dependable. He provides for both his people's physical and spiritual needs. He's given them food and water as well as the Sabbath. And he alone has the power to bring about change. For this, or for all these things, he deserves praise, not complaints. What's he trying to teach his people? He's trying to help them grow up. I've just redeemed you from Egypt. I need you to grow up here. I deserve praise, not complaints. 
So those are some things I learned about God. I learned some things about the Israelites too. First, they'd left Egypt, but Egypt hadn't left them. Mm. Selah. They're fearful, not faithful, when they hit adversity because they walk by sight rather than by faith. They're often distracted on their pilgrimage by the discomforts of unmet appetites. Right about this point, I'm like, this is getting a little too close to home. When trials come, they're impatient for relief, ungrateful, forgetful complainers, and prayerless. That's what I learned about the Israelites. And yet God has chosen them and decided to redeem them and decided to take them on a journey to the promised land. Mm, mm, mm. Some lessons regarding faith. Many times, God doesn't take the direct route. We already learned that. He didn't take the most direct route because he thought they'd turn around and go back. He didn't think it. He knew it. So he takes them on a different journey, one that is a little longer and more involved. I learned that faith waits on God to provide what he's promised rather than dictating how he must deliver and then grumbling when he doesn't. And that faith is revealed most when prayer, obedience, patience, and thanksgiving precede planning or knee-jerk scheming. Faith learns that God leads through obstacles, not around them. question for you tonight. Are you facing an obstacle? I don't know what it may be. Maybe it's a Red Sea obstacle. It's an overwhelming situation or circumstance with no way out, and you feel boxed in. Are you there tonight? Are you in Amara with no Elim? Dry days, dry days are growing. Provisions are lacking. And as the supplies dwindle, does your faith? Are you at a Rephidim? Provisions are low again. And the enemy is attacking you where you're most vulnerable. Are you there tonight? Are you at the Red Sea? Are you in Amara with no Elim? Are you at a Rephidim? 
And if each of you could share openly and honestly, you've probably been at some of these places. Maybe tonight, maybe at previous times of your life. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. These happen right in the midst of God's will. Are we forgetting that God is the, um, what do you call him? He's the guy who owns the gymnasium in which we're training. And after you've lifted a five-pound weight for a while, what's the next thing you get? Ten. How's ten compared to five? Heavy. <laughs> right? If I could do ten of these, I can only do two of these for a while. And then he builds that muscle up. If things seem like they're going along really well, this is not to frighten you, but he may be looking to increase your weights in the gym. It's all okay. But you may be at one of these places tonight, and I just remind you, don't be afraid. And so how do we turn obstacles into opportunities? First, do not be afraid. It's what God told Abraham and what he'll tell Joshua. Why would he tell these two titans of faith, don't be afraid? Again, this is as simple as the Midian thing. Where's Midian? Oh, maybe that's where Mount Sinai is. <laughs> Why would God tell these fellas, don't be afraid? Because they were afraid. These titans of the faith. <laughs> we got Abraham. We got Joshua. We even got Moses. And what does he say? Don't be afraid. Because they were afraid. What did Jesus tell the disciples when he's walking to them? Right? They're in the boat <laughs> in the storm. And he walks out there. And they go, ah, <laughs> it's a ghost. And he goes, don't be afraid. Why? Because they were afraid. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Fear jumps on us. It makes us feel things. It make, gives us intrusive thoughts. It does all kinds of nasty, bad things. And that's why it's great to have a verse to go back to. Because you need to start talking the word to your brain, not just the circumstances. And so you need to tell your brain, do not be afraid. God has said, do not be afraid. So do not be afraid. Second, stand firm. Exodus 14, 13 and 14. A couple of, just, they're great verses. Moses said to the people, uh, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Stand firm or stand still. For the Lord will fight for you. And the last one, sort of like the second one, be still. Stop all self-rescuing action and rest in Him. Pray, obey, 
and follow Him. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. I always have a little thing in stand firm and be still. If something isn't clear to me, like I'm praying about do I go left or do I go right, you know, if I got a decision to make, if it isn't clear, then I stay the course. I don't change. I just, whatever I'm doing, however I'm moving forward, I keep moving forward until God makes it clear, should I turn left or right, Lord? If it's not clear, I just stay the course. And then he makes it clear. And then you can turn left or right. So many times, I, maybe not you, I run ahead of God. And I'm going to solve the problem. Because I probably know better how to solve the problem than God does. Probably. I mean, he only flies at 50,000 feet. What, is, what can he see from way up there? I fly at five feet. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. Be still or stand still. Quit trying to rescue yourself. You don't know how God is going to work. This is how obstacles are turned into opportunities for faith, is remind yourself of this. God will act. He may act by changing things, as he did at the Red Sea and at Marah. He may act by giving us something else, as he did at Elim, the manna and the meat. All they said was, we're hungry. And he said, great, got the answer for you. And he makes it happen. So he may act by giving us something else, something else we haven't thought to ask for, which is actually better than what we were asking for. Or... He may act by giving us the grace to persevere with joy and not complain, as he did for Jesus and Paul. Remember in Hebrews chapter 12, The way I memorize it in chapter 12, beginning in verse 2, right? Anybody else memorize it in NIV or NASB? Here's the NLT. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, he endured the cross, disregarded its shame. Now he's seated at the place of honor besides God's throne, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty. Did he get Jesus out of the cross? Thank you, Lord, no. Thank you, Lord, for going through with it. Thank you for not climbing down or getting the angels to rescue you, which you could have. He didn't go around the obstacle. He went through it. He didn't open his mouth, but he went through it. How about Paul? Let's see. Let's flip back to 2 Corinthians. 
I think that's in the New Testament. I can't quite remember. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Beginning, um, well, you we could begin in verse 6. 2 Corinthians 12, 6. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Did Paul complain about his thorn? No, he asked the Lord three times to take it away, and the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you. You don't hear about it again from Paul. He asked. The Lord said no, and he said, great, got it. He persevered with joy and didn't complain. God will act. Maybe by changing things. Maybe by giving you something else. Or maybe by transforming you from the inside out to give you and me the grace to persevere with joy and not complain. And then when someone asks you, how are you getting through this? You're able to give witness. And say, only because of the grace of the Lord who gives me salvation and joy. Well, isn't it bad and nasty and awful? You know what? I'm learning things about him that I never would have learned any way else. And if God is good, and let's go ahead and say he is, then whatever he gave you is for, could be used for your good. It may not be good, but he may use it for good in your life. Why would I think that? Uh, again, that's what he says. <laughs> You'll find for the most part, actually for 100% of the part, I actually believe these words. I know you do too, or you wouldn't keep coming. This is what we've got to camp on, folks. We're going to hit obstacles. You're walking in God's will. You're going to hit obstacles, and ones you didn't know were coming, but God did. And what does he want you to do? Go to him with the obstacle and say, Lord, I don't know how to get through this obstacle, but if you don't want to take me around it, take me through it. And he'll say, I will. We'll do it in my time, my way. And you're going to say, thanks, Daddy. Appreciate it. And he will. Faith learns that God leads through obstacles, not around them. For next time, read Exodus 19 to 24. We'll just cross the halfway point in Exodus. Big event next week. They get to Mount Sinai, and God gives them the law. And so that'll be fun. We'll get to, uh, yeah, wherever Mount Sinai is, they're going to get there next week. But I'm telling you where it is. It's on the other side. My final shot. Okay, let me pray for us. Oh, Father, thank you for your word.
Uh, thank you that you know us. Uh, we are so, at least I am, and maybe some of my brothers and sisters will agree that it's true in their lives. I, I am so slow to learn. I'm so quick to complain. I'm so slow to pray. I'm so quick to try to solve the problem and run ahead of you. I'm so slow to just ask you uh, for help. Uh, it's like asking for directions. I don't know why I can't do that, but I, it's just like asking you for directions. I need to do it. I want to do it. And so uh, I pray that you continue to work powerfully in me. Make me more like your blessed Son, the Lord Jesus. And whoever agrees with that can agree in their spirit uh, that they would like you to do that in their life as well. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking responsibility for us. Help us to be reminded that uh, obstacles shouldn't surprise us, and you intend to take us through them, not around them, that we would grow in faith and maturity, and therefore our worship and our usefulness to you. We love you. We thank you for loving us first, and we pray for all of these things, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.